0: Welcome, menopause warriors. Come join us where few women have gone before. Our mission is to demystify the menopause journey. We seek to break through the stigma of getting older and provide our listeners with real solutions, support, and answers to give women the tools to live their healthiest, fullest lives.
1: Our guests include healthcare experts, educators, nutritionists, hormone specialists, cultural icons, and everyday amazing women. Come celebrate with us and learn the wonders of
0: menopause. heat. Like Welcome menopause warriors. Today we have the wonderful Dr. Christy Funk. She is a board certified breast cancer surgeon and physician, best-selling author, international keynote speaker, and we love this, a women's health advocate. She is the ambassador and avid contributor to the Pink Lotus Power Up community, and we are thrilled to have her here with us today. Welcome Dr. Funk. I would love to start, if we could, if you could just give us just a brief history of your journey from after med school and you went to Cedars, and maybe possibly just touch on a little bit of your frustration with women's health and why you were inspired to start your practice, then what led you to the Pink Lotus Foundation, and then we'll, we'll get into the real nitty gritty here on menopause after that. But your story is so inspiring, not only for women's health, which you really are a pioneer in it and a, for sure, a, a warrior. Would love you just to just chat and let us know about that.
2: Right. Well, after medical school, I did my surgical residency in Seattle at Virginia Mason. And in your fourth In early fifth years, you have to figure out what you're doing next. You're either off to private practice or academia. Or in my case, so (laughs) this was, it was 19... 99 slash 2000 and laparoscopy was just coming into the world, like taking out your gallbladder through these tiny incisions and one would hold a camera, right? And you're looking at a monitor operating. So prior to that, and for my first three years of residency, everything was like, like this 10 centimeter line under your ribs, you get the gallbladder out. And so in other words, the attendings who have been in practice for many, many years, they're elbowing me out of the way trying to do the gallbladder because they need to learn. And so I'm thinking, wait, I'd still be making the 10 centimeter (laughs) incision. I don't know how to do this stuff. And it's clearly the future of surgery to do laparoscopy, thoracoscopy, etc. So I sought out a fellowship of which there weren't many at that time in minimally invasive surgery. And decided upon a fabulous fellowship at Cedar Sinai Medical Center, which was close, you know, miles from where I grew up. And I also wanted to be nearer home. So I come to LA and the guy who's in charge of that fellowship says to me, you know, I never did ask you in your interviews like where you see yourself, like what you want to do with your life. Okay, never mind. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do with your <laughs> life. You're going to switch to a breast fellowship and then you're going to run the breast center. And I was like, like, (laughs) what are you talking about? I can have your heart on bypass in 25 minutes. I can take your colon out with one eye closed. Like you want me to be just a breast surgeon? Uh, No, not doing that. And so what I had to, and he's like, I, I know, I know, I'm not here to rush you. Just let me know by Friday. So, and he really did say all of that. God bless him. Because so I, <laughs> okay, I have to do some introspection, some prayer, figure out like who I am, where I'm going, right? In a crash course of in the next three days. And what I had to do rapidly was drop the hubris, like all of that pride in these five years of sleepless nights. I mean, call every two to three nights up it just... Ooh, up to my elbows and guts and blood, <laughs> learning how to be this surgeon who could operate on any part of your body uh, fairly competently. And... It was all just so I could operate on the outside of your skeleton, like on this big flabby piece of flesh with a little <laughs> tissue underneath. I mean, you know, not, I am not belittling that when you have breast cancer, it's highly charged emotionally and physically comes with a lot of change and unwelcome everything. That's not what I'm trying to say. From a surgeon's standpoint, the technicalities of breast surgery, particularly in the year 2000, were not all that challenging. Just like the gallbladder, there were big incisions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they could get a lump out from anywhere because they went right over it and straight down. I mean, I kind of used to think I could teach a toddler to do this. I any need a toddler, but certainly like a 15-year-old could make it a cut and go straight down, pull it out and close up. So that's when I realized, you know what? This may be seemingly easy surgery to me, but it's not easy for women. No part of it is. And it would be an honor to spend the rest of my life diving deep into this one subject and becoming an expert at it rather than being pretty good at all parts of the body. Let me be excellent and awesome with breast disease. Mm-hmm. And I learned to challenge myself. So it so surgically, I was starting to make smaller and smaller incisions. I was one of the very first people in LA in 2002 and three to be doing total skin and nipple sparing mastectomies, which means you leave every bit of the outside skin, the freckles are there, the, any old scars are there, the nipples there, and you get that breast out and put an implant in. I don't do the implant part, that's plastics. But I made it fun for me from a surgical technical point of view. And I made it beautiful, as beautiful as I could for my patients. And so that that's what I reconciled in my mind in those days. And it's turned out to be beyond my expectations in terms of oh, this sacred relationship that you get inside this woman's dark, frightening journey and you shed some light on it. And together you soldier through and she really has to do all the soldiering, but eventually
0: emerges stronger than when she started. And how and how did you feel at that time about just overall woman's health, you know, particularly in your case, the breast uh, cancer part of it, but where did you, where did you, what was your struggle with women's health at that time? Because I know when you've told your story in the past, you were either frustrated or disappointed. Which what brought you to your practice, to opening up your own practice, and 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 especially Pink Lotus Foundation?
2: Yes. So I, after my fellowship, I stayed on at Cedar Sinai as one of their directors of the breast center for the next 7 years and slowly but surely as those years went by I became increasingly frustrated with the fragmentation of healthcare and especially at a large institution with plenty of funding and access to donors and big contracts with all of the major insurance companies, like if they can't do it, who can? Like, I'm wondering why when you wake up with a lump in your breast, you got to call your doctor who gets you a mammogram and then they see the mammogram like, oh yeah, you got to come back for an ultrasound. Like we can do that in a, um, a week. Does that work for you? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let me just go home and start writing my will for the next seven days then I come back and oh, it says, oh, kidding or, or not, or it's cancer. But we see something, it's suspicious. Can you come back for a biopsy? And I'm like, you should just wake up with a lump in your breast, you know, at 7 a.m., get into the doctor by noon and find out before you leave the office what you're dealing with. Granted, an actual cancer diagnosis requires a biopsy, which is going to be at least 24 hours to get the true diagnosis. But I mean, I know when I see on ultrasound when I'm looking at cancer and I 100 million percent know when I'm looking at a benign cyst. So at least you get most of your questions answered.
0: Oh, I would have to say, yeah, it's that I've gone down that road four or five times in my life from the mammogram to the biopsy, and then having to wait three, you know, three weeks, basically from the first onset of that call where they say, oh, you know, we see something on your, on your mammogram. It's awful, awful. I now have pushed through insurance that I can actually go up to a place now and have I, I can now have the breasts, the mammogram, and then the ultrasound right after. But oh, I've had to, I've had to push that, you know, and 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 advocate for myself. Right,
2: that self advocacy for something so basic shouldn't even be necessary. So. So goes the birth of Pink Lotus. My mm-hmm. husband and I, Andy, opened doors in March 09, and we had this vision that we would combine state-of-the-art imaging and technology with holistic, compassionate care, with cutting-edge surgery. So things like Chinese medicine, nutrition, physical therapy, all of this was brought together in one comforting um, Almost home like environment, right? With the terry cloth robes and the lower lighting and some fresh flowers. Like it just seemed welcoming, inviting, took the daunting sterility out of the wide white halls and the clickety clack of the heels as the doctor entered toward the room. Like it's just calm and it's immediate. There's no red tape. There's no asking if I can please, pretty please, do this on Friday. No, it's my OR. We're doing it Friday. We're doing it now. Like, you know, it was just really this vision of providing the immediacy that takes away the fear. And even if you get that dreaded diagnosis, hey, at least we know what we're up against. Let's begin. Yeah. Rather than wondering and waiting for another week or two, or you should the sad stories I've got from low income, uninsured and underinsured women. They're not waiting three weeks. They're waiting three years Mm. until it breaks through their skin and they just can't take it anymore Mm. because it hurts so bad. And it's an oozing, smelly mess. And I see still at least two a month that are like that. So we burst pink lotus out of a labor of love and out of what I felt was necessity. Like I have this in my power to deliver. So let's deliver it. And we, (laughs) we shouldn't get too much into the entrepreneurial aspects because I know we want to talk about (laughs) liking it hot, but, um, (laughs) the, uh, oh my goodness. So March 09, if you look at the Dow Jones graph, I'm serious. Just Google it. Dow Jones graph. March 2009. And you spread out that month. It is literally the day we opened doors, the 23rd. It dropped. Boom, yeah. Yes. Some of us had such terrible things happen that that year or month is etched in as not good
0: financially. Um,
2: so, wow, we opened doors. I'm not lying at the very bottom of the financial barrel of worldwide financial devastation. And I was four months pregnant with triplets. (laughs) (laughs) And I know, and our business model just whoosh under our feet because the surgeons who said they were coming with me bailed. So I literally was holding an eight year lease at Forty-five thousand a month with all these employees at home. In a couple, few months, I was going to have literally nine hundred diapers a month, <laughs> needing two OPRs, having to leave the condo to get a bigger space. It was just shelling out money right and left, right and left, until there wasn't any. I mean, I remember in May, just a, two months later, I sold our car, which I just had for a year, to pay the rent because of the forty-five K rent. Just like that, money didn't come from anywhere, and no one was lending. You know, all the. DC world was shut down. The banks were not loaning. They took my credit cards away. I was like, I haven't done anything wrong yet.
1: Like, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> I was just getting to that part. <laughs> yeah.
2: So um, it, w- it was tough going to create a center in that financial climate, but we made it, we powered through by the grace of God, a lot of prayer, a lot of generosity of people giving me loans and uh, and we made it through, and, and the Pink Lotus Press Center is now
0: flourishing, and I'm really proud of it. Gets me excited to wake up every day, and mm. has made such an impact not only to Los Angeles but you know to the nation. Your book and uh, and how you've got exposure from that. So so your story is just so awesome. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks. What would you say from that 2009 that you opened to right now when you're sitting talking to us, what is the biggest change you've seen in women's health specifically towards menopause? Because I do know now you've expanded, not only do you have Pink Lotus, but now you have the elements that the store on your website where you're actually selling products for menopausal symptoms. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, my
2: reach could generally only go as far as the people who came in the door. So I wanted to create a broader audience who could benefit just from my way of explaining things that I think can help people in their cancer decision making, which is just fraught with such confusion and a lack of explanation oftentimes from the treating physicians. It's more like you need a mastectomy. Well, do I and why? I'm not saying I won't get one, but you know, they're not part of the conversation and decision making in a lot of places around the country. So anyway, that. That's what led me to write the book. And in writing the book, I thought, okay, boom, boom, I've done that. Now everybody can have access. But then I realized people wanted human connection. They wanted to really interact with others. They wanted community and love and friendship. And that's really what brings us joy and depth of meaning in life. So then I birthed with my husband, I can't do anything without him. He's all the <laughs> genius behind the, like the path. He's like so good at creating the path, um, both online and just brass tacks of what you're supposed to do. And Power Up is this massive, I have over 30,000 members. It's totally free. It's an, just like it sounds, it's an empowerment community filled with blogs and education and resources, videos, my Cancer Kicking Summit, which is both virtual and in-person at Terranea which is a Southern California resort right on the ocean. They both happen annually. And I've got my cancer kicking kitchen. This whole community can go into an area that's like Facebook, where you have your own page and you post, and then you can go into the little chat rooms or you can thumbs up and like other people's stuff and talk about it. And it just brings this whole community of interested women together. It's not about cancer per se. There's subsections that are devoted to cancer women who are thriving through it all and hooking them up. People have been there, done that, or matched with newly diagnosed patients through Breast Buddy. So I have this huge community. And then I realized, you know, we need real solutions to real problems because I'm hearing now all of this human contact chatter and I'm seeing needs that are simply unmet oh. or right is one yeah. here one there mm-hmm. yeah a hot flash is cured but oh have you tried cohosh mm-hmm. have you tried this <laughs> oh well, I'm going to talk about I cannot find a comfortable bra okay like, so like on and on these issues were coming up and I thought wait I have now twenty years under my belt, like I know some of these solutions. Why don't we vet what see what's vetted and vet what needs vetting in terms of like even randomized controlled trials? Like there's nothing kitschy, um, nothing wrong with pink ribbon earrings, but you're not going to find them at Pink Lotus Elements. Every single item in Elements is is meant to make. A woman's journey easier. So I was, I paused because I was about to say breast cancer, but it doesn't have to do with cancer as much as it is just navigating womanhood and aging and then some of the needs that come along with that when cancer pops into the picture. So Elements does have a number of fun products, um, but they're fun to me because they work. And so it's fun to take someone's hot flashes away to stop her vagina from being dry, to Ooh, ha- stop her yeah. mind from being, um, you know, zero to 60, just mm-hmm. because. Her son dropped the kitchen towel on the floor (laughs) and then stepped over it when he walked out. It's like, kid! (laughs) That's great. I,
1: I really enjoyed, is it called the survivor wall when the pictures came up? That, I hearing you say that this created a community of people and that's where you got the questions that you could answer next. But seeing... The bevy of women on there, how different they looked, their different ages, that was um, yeah, I took a long time with that, just watching them, and as,
2: as I'm so glad that you liked it, yeah, that's a it's a pretty new addition. It just came out last October, and we have so many up there already it's it's really inspirational to see the resiliency, the hope that women carry through their diagnosis and treatment, and then they just emerge so. empowered is, I almost want to say too cliche. It's just, they emerge transformed and in awe of a whole new part of themselves. They didn't even know was there to cultivate and blossom. It's so beautiful.
1: Was it, oh, go ahead, Franca.
2: No,
0: no, you go, go.
1: Was the menopause questions. Um, did, were they always there or have they been more and more lately? I see more and more. Are people talking more about it? Yeah.
2: Yes. I do think that women, especially those whose menopause has been thrust upon them prematurely, are unabashedly talking about dry vaginas and f- hot flashing their way to a divorce because <laughs> they're so moody. And it's not a stigma. It's a reality. And hey, doc, can you help me with it? And I think that these conversations are overdue and they should be welcomed by the medical community. But you see a lot of the primary care doctors and ob to whom these questions are generally posed, right? Like I have a special patient population. Your general menopause population is going to their internist or OB-GYN mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they may or may not know the latest evidence for the benefits and risks of hormone therapy There's a lot of confusion and a ton of controversy surrounding menopause treatment options. And one of the reasons it all started is that in July 2002, the Women's Health Initiative study came out. This study was tremendously powerful in altering the menopause treatment landscape in America to I've got you covered and can fix everything going wrong with you because of menopause to uh, good luck with that. You see, because what happened in this WHI Women's Health Initiative study is they randomized 16,000 postmenopausal women to either get PREM-PRO, which is estrogen plus progesterone or a placebo. And they actually halted the study early for ethical concerns because after 5.2 years, there was such an obvious gap between the placebo and the real deal. The real deal, that. PremPro group was seeing 26% more breast cancers, mm. along with more heart attacks, strokes, blood clots, and dementia. Now on the, flip, the healthy side, they were seeing fewer colon cancers and hip fractures, but come on, our biggest killers are heart attack and then cancer, and then a couple more things and then comes um, dementia and stroke. So our top killers are getting worse in the PremPro group. So that very year, 33 million HRT prescriptions disappeared from the year. And women, you know, leapt into menopause round two. Here we go. Hot hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, mood swings. And guess what happened the very next year? 2003 reported out a 6.7% drop in breast cancer diagnoses. Okay. Nothing ever drops breast cancer diagnoses. That is the last drop we've ever seen. It goes up 0.3% every single year. Incidence goes up because our unhealthy habits that contribute to breast cancer are on the rise, not the decline. But all of a sudden you stop hormones and that 6.7% drop was in postmenopausal women with estrogen-driven tumors. So that's what getting back to our, by the way, also in 2003, as long as we're talking about this, researchers in the UK then published what's um, aptly called the 1 million women study because 1.1 million women were um, followed for a number of years and they found that the, the same thing, like PremPro versus placebo, they found 66% more breast cancer in the hormone replacement group. So by 2003, all the, not all the guys, but most of the guys in our country were like, now I don't got, I don't have my only weapon. My only weapon was the pharmacist giving you that prescription pill or patch or even sprays they come in. So I'm at a loss because I don't know anything else. And research actually shows that the discussion of menopause is initiated by the patient 91% of the time. Yeah, And I'm guessing, yeah, it's because the guy and the general practitioner It doesn't necessarily have a weapon at their disposal or an antidote or anything to offer you that is going to be considered completely medically safe by randomized controlled trial gold standard type data that we doctors like to hang our hats on. And as of 2013, I saw uh, there was a Johns Hopkins Magazine article that said that fewer than one in five U.S. OB-GYN residents, so those in training to become your OB-GYN, uh, fewer than 20% of them receive any formal training in menopause medicine.
0: So I think that doctors, Which is, let, let's by just, and large, let, let, let's don't just know. pause there for a minute, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. let's just, because we have, in, in our journey here with this podcast, we have heard that statistic. That is mind-boggling to me. I mean that that is what, you know, has the fire under under my seat to just continue doing what we're doing and getting more information out there to to women because even in your field, you know, menopause can hit a woman anywhere between the ages of 35 to 65, right? I mean, we're talking about a very large you know, group of the population that is affected. you know, some people go through menopause and it's not bad, but the majority of the people that I know it's been life-changing for them. So that what you as a doctor in your field, and you must have friends that are gynecologists and OBGYNs. And what, what, what is that? What does that tell you? And has that changed since 2013? I have to be honest, I'm not I don't know what
2: they're teaching OBGYN mm-hmm. residents now in terms of menopause medicine. I doubt much has changed because I can tell you that I am very heavily involved in the crusade to educate people about how diet and nutrition play the most critical role you could possibly embrace in terms of taking care of your own health mm-hmm. now and in the future and To this day, there isn't one millisecond of diet and nutrition given to any medical student or resident or fellow in any discipline of medicine. So if something that transcends all illnesses almost, almost for the definite most part isn't being taught... I don't think the little micro path of menopause <laughs> right, right. Right, is being taught, which by the way, they overlap. I can tell you, you know, five foods now that are going to help you with your hot flashes.
0: Right. Um, and what, what foods are those? Dr.
2: Fong? <laughs> <laughs> have critical. The number one food may surprise people because they think maybe that I would not like soy, but it is absolutely um, so beneficial. If you look at Japanese and other Asian cultures, they sail through menopause. And why is that? It has to do with their dietary habits. They are, it's the more traditional you are, the more you're not seeing it. They don't even have a word in their language for menopause or for hot flashes it doesn't exist in their dialogue because it doesn't exist except for those who have gone jumping into the deep end of westernization. So they're eating all of our fatty meats and butter. And so they're now fat and they're not exercising and they're swaying d- from their kind of vegetables and the soy and the green tea and the traditional Japanese eating of tofu and edamame and natto and literally picking up a cheeseburger. So to the extent that you're looking at the t- Chinese and Japanese who are more traditional in their dietary habits, they don't ha- they don't go through, quote unquote, menopause. The periods stop and life keeps on trucking. There's no memory, uh, mental acuity lapses.
1: Uh, wow. <laughs> I just lapsed and
2: trying to say it. I'm moving to uh, Japan. I got to move to right? Japan. Yeah. You don't
0: have to move to Japan. <laughs> you just need to eat Japanese here in LA. That's true. Um, Before we get, can we come, I want to circle back to the, the whole food thing and and your belief in that, because I too, I, I, I have followed what you have said. I've followed what many doctors like, how how not to die. Um, Michael Greger. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to come back to that because that's a really good topic and it really does play into menopause too. But I want to go, I want to touch more on the hormone Replacement therapy versus breast cancer. What is your stance on that? You know, and I know for myself, who when, you know, started. Probably I started my menopause about four or five years ago. You know, I didn't touch and prior to that would not touch the hormone replacement therapy because I have a very high cancer rate in my family. My from on my mom and my dad's side. Both my parents have died of cancer. My aunts died of cancer. My uncle died of cancer. So I was, I just stayed clear away from it, which in turn I suffered. I did. I had couldn't sleep. I you know had the the crazy thoughts i had the brain f- i had everything i had all 3942 symptoms of menopause and i did it through eating and supplements and i tried it that way i'm you know kind of rolling the dice here, Russian roulette here, as far as, you know, am I going to have dementia? Am I going to have, you know, osteoporosis? I've already found out I have osteopenia, which is the onset of that. So I, what, what is your, what, if you had a patient come in and like, let's say I came into you today and I said, what should I do? What is your recommendation? Would you recommend hormone replacement therapy today? As an and
2: as a last resort. So we have a lot to explore. Um, All hormone replacement therapy needs to have an individualized conversation centered around, as you were kind of giving me, if you were my patient, you kind of laid out on the table, look, both parents died of cancer, but I have osteoporosis and I've tried dietary intervention. I've tried acupuncture. I've Mm -hmm. tried, right? Like, let's go through, first of all, your baseline risks. And you have to realize too, I come at the idea of hormone replacement therapy from the perspective of a breast cancer surgeon. So like the big WHI, Women's Health Initiative study that came out in 2002, they followed those women. The study ended, but they continued on and reported out in 2010 that even at later years post their stopping their PremPro, the breast cancer rate was one out of every 143 women on the prem probe, which doesn't sound like a lot so if you're totally miserable in menopause you're like okay if you put a thousand of me on hrt seven are going to get a cancer they would not have gotten but if you extrapolate that percentage which is 0.007 to the six million or so women on hrt it's hard to get a handle on it because a lot of them come from compounding pharmacies and the bioidentical or b hrt and we don't always um have them counted this is Heart. You guys may actually, having researched this, know more, but I, it, my best estimate is that there are 6 million women on some form of HRT, which means that there will be 41,379 invasive breast cancers this year and then another 41K next year and so on that are completely preventable because they happen because of the HRT. Mm. So one in 143 doesn't sound like odds you'd go to Vegas with, but that translates to a lot of cancer and a lot of cancer mortality and the morbidity that comes along with surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, anti-estrogen. Now you're ripped off the estrogen and put on an anti-estrogen. It can become something worth investigating in terms of, did you really have to go on HRT to begin with? So I don't tell people they have to tough it out in drenched sweats, but I do want them to Get a little educated because they may not even know what kind of risk versus benefit they're trying to balance. A lot of women, for example, might just say, You know what? My mom had this horrific hip fracture at 80 years old. She never got out of bed again, and I don't want to suffer like that. So I need HRT because I have osteopenia and I can't let my bones get that fragile. But have we tried weight bearing exercise? Soy as a food actually is one of the only foods I know of that increases bone density. Um, Bisphosphonates, calcium, vitamin D, all of these things to me need to be tried before you resort to HRT. Um, and on the other hand, if you're super low risk for anything happening, um, you know, there no family history of any kind of illness, uh, be it heart disease, dementia, or cancers and fractures, and you're high risk on the menopause misery meter, then, you know, we also have some good options. So Some people are just miserable because of hot flashes. And you mentioned,
1: you know, pink lotus elements. Oh, yeah. We want to talk about that. So, yes.
2: <laughs> right. Good. Because there are so many solutions there. And so, for example, example, probably the best panacea I can offer women because it, in randomized controlled trials against placebo, three different ones in humans with blood draws measuring that no estrogen got elevated, actually bone density increased, everything from hot flashes, insomnia, vaginal dryness, decreased libido, um, night sweats to fine lines and wrinkles, <laughs> all reversed in over 90% of users. So it's totally estrogen free. It's safe for all my ladies that are cancer patients on anti- like tamoxifen or anastrozole those whole you know that whole bucket of meds um because it's completely herbal it's just three asian herbs it's called menopause miracle like most asian herbs it does often take every single day for 30 days of not skipping a day for it to suddenly kick in i've had people tell me after there's a nurse in my recovery room and i told her about it this is when i first acquired it so i saw all these studies and we ended up getting the the worldwide rights to distribution of it and um I said, you've got to get this product because she was waking up, she said, 10 times a night and three times a night, she would go downstairs and stick her head in the freezer. <laughs> so I said, no, you've got to try this. And it, it's going to work, but you've got to be like diligent with it every day. Um, and she, the next week I saw her, she said after five days, she did not have to go to the freezer <laughs> ever. <laughs> But she did wake up. She's you know after only five days, she was still waking up several times a night. But you know, ten that times was gone, and the freezer was not in the nighttime routine anymore. So this definitely works, and the reviews show it. I and mean, there's hundreds oh, well, of reviews. But when do we reviews.
1: when do we start taking this?
2: so okay this is a good
1: because I, I still get my period but I'm starting to feel when do I start
2: I still get my period Um, so TMI as my kids would say
1: but uh, <laughs> it's just us
2: but I, it's coming right I'm 52 so yeah the um, the end is nigh and I started it you did so start it who, yeah okay who knows how temperament okay,
1: okay. <laughs> I so what I was drawn to was joint peace I'm I'm a personal Mm. trainer. I advocate for women to stay strong and keep all everything they've built since Jane Fonda and with their mom. I love it. Yeah. So can, (laughs) so I'm really excited to receive this um, because this is somewhere where I struggle and I just fight through the pain. So can you talk about the joint piece? I really, I would like to know.
2: Yeah. Joint piece is it's um in production right now everything um, oh so i'm waiting for side. it I'm, yeah oh, it's okay. on pre sale uh, that's right i noticed that um, okay yeah i mean t- in the interest of keeping the podcast a little evergreen i'm sure it's online now so <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> check it out big letters <laughs> elements um so joint piece is a Really clever formulation of a vegan glucosamine. Since I'm all about being plant-based, all of our products are true to that as well. Um, so it's a vegan glucosamine with a proprietary joint um, lubrication and stabilization and flexibility enhancer. Like it's really this amazing ingredient that has been studied in randomized control trials as well as a, as a single ingredient. Um, and I'm I'm really excited about it. So
0: I think you're gonna find. Okay, well I will you let you. I will let
1: you know. Um, I can't wait to hear.
0: Yeah. you're okay, Speaking a little bit more about your plant-based, you know, theory beliefs. What well, you know, if you, I think I already know the answer to this, but if you were to give anybody advice on how not to get breast cancer or how to avoid it or how to prevent it, what would be the number one, two, three things that you would tell people?
2: Eat a whole food, plant-based diet, minimize or eliminate alcohol, get to and stay at your ideal body weight forever and exercise Regularly, and by regularly, I mean if you can carry on a conversation because you're like speed walking and chit chatting, you need five hours a week. And if you're super sweaty, can hardly get any words out, then you only need two and a half hours a week. More is better when it comes to exercise. But some listeners may be like, "Oh, I get winded getting off my couch to the fridge and back." So if that's your level of cardiac conditioning, so be it. Just go for a walk, and when you're tired, go home. And tomorrow, try to push it a half farther, like any amount helps. There's one terrific study looking at 17,000 postmenopausal women who literally just walking briskly yeah. for 11 minutes a day. Yeah. 11 minutes a day, drop breast cancer by 18%. Wow. You, you put some pep in your step, like I'm talking about, and you work out three to four hours a week at moderate levels of exercise, you drop breast cancer by 30 to 40%. And five plus hours is 57%. So the more the better, but you don't necessarily have to be in the gym 10 hours a day, but at least giving yourself... If you're physically capable of a half hour day, that's awesome. Um,
0: But exercise really matters. Going back to the plant-based diet, is that strictly plant-based or can you be primarily, you know, I like to call myself primarily plant-based. I mean, it is very hard to really eat, uh, especially when you're raising small kids, that's for sure. Like my kids are grown now and they're out of the house. So I have a little bit more luxury and I tend to eat more plant-based because I'm, I'm just making food for myself. But you know, right. here, I get so much pushback from my friends because I also know that for menopause, that it really does help with menopause to eat a plant-based diet. But my friends that are really struggling in menopause, they get almost offensive with me when I bring that up because they think that all the stuff that's put into, you know, the, the beyond burgers and the fake meat and the fake chicken or whatever that you're that, by, that that's worse for you than eating a regular piece of chicken or or, or a grass fed burger. What are your thoughts on that? It's
2: definitely better for you than the real deal. It is not better for you than making a homemade lentil black bean burger and having that burger, right? So it's always a compared to what? So with the comparison of beyond meat or Impossible burgers versus an organic grass-fed beef burger versus your conventionally raised cow that you're finding in a McDonald's burger. McDonald's is worst. Then comes your cow that was like super happy with 5,000 acres to itself. It's still animal protein and animal fat. And then comes the Impossibles and that whole line, which is meant to mimic the fatty kind of salty, gooey, delicious taste of Mm -hmm. the real deal. So it's not health food, but at least it is technically plant-based. It has a ton of saturated fat, and that's what I don't like about all of those transition foods. We call them transition foods because they're fine as a bridge. If that's the only way to get you to stop eating the beef burgers, to eat one of these burgers fine, but let's get you onto, like I was saying, like a homemade, yummy lentil bean kind of creation. The thing that people need to understand quite simply is that every time you chew and swallow, you're swallowing what eventually goes through your intestines, getting absorbed through that intestinal wall and getting into your bloodstream, flying around your veins, into in your arteries and saturating cells. So every cell is sitting in this tiny little, what we call micro environment. This little bathtub is either screaming out, pro-cancer or anti-cancer with every single food you chew and swallow. So the response to meat, no matter how happy the cow was, no matter how many acres it had and how many organic soy kernels it was able to eat, it is an animal protein. And the response to that inside your body will always be to elevate estrogen, to elevate growth hormone, in particular IGF-1 insulin-like growth factor, which is the biggest growth promoter ever inside our bodies that could ever exist, screaming at everything to grow, for which we're super grateful because we actually turn over 50 billion cells a day. So they need replacing, post-exercise muscles need repairing, your brain needs neuroprotection, and that's all thanks to IGF-1. But your brain, super smart, tells your liver how much to pump out for the day's deeds. And when those jobs are done, What do you think excess IGF-1 is going to do? Like just, oh, there's nothing to do around here. I think I'll just get peed out now. No, it starts screaming at other things to grow. Grow atherosclerotic plaque. Grow a cancer. Hey, cancer, grow into the liver, into the lung, into the brain. So the only way to make an excess of IGF-1 in your body, the only way is to eat animal protein. They've done the studies. They've done the blood draws. It doesn't elevate with plant protein. Whenever you eat animal protein, you're going to elevate estrogen, elevate IGF-1, increase inflammation, increase angiogenesis, the birth of new blood vessels, angio blood vessels, genesis birth. This is required for any cancer in your body to grow beyond the size of the tip of a ballpoint pen. Every cancer must do this angiogenesis thing and eating animals promotes angiogenesis. And this all just then results in what we term oxidative stress and your immune system gets overtaxed and overwhelmed and so busy dealing with all of this that it can't see the cancer cell escaping throughout that window, that open opportunity to wreak havoc with your body. On the flip side, every time you eat plants, it's a choice not to eat the animals. Yeah, but guess what the plants are doing? You're chewing and swallowing what's called phytochemicals, plant-based chemicals or nutrients that are super real with chemical structures that have an end game that is the opposite of the protein reaction. Lowers estrogen, lowers IGF-1, stops angiogenesis, literally helps seek out and destroy cancer cells, causing apoptosis, which is cancer cell suicide, decreasing oxidative stress and boosting the function of your immune system. So that in a nutshell is this balance that your food choices are putting your cells into, a balance either toward cancer or away with every
0: fork to mouth move you make. Now, what what about if people say, you know, they're in menopause, they don't have a big, you know, they don't have a big risk of cancer history, family genetics, and they're eating the burger because it is good, it is raising estrogen and it's adding estrogen to their body and I understand with you it's the bad estrogen but what what do you say to what you know because then you're saying oh we'll eat soy because it's so high in estrogen during menopause so until fairly recently we didn't understand that there are two estrogen receptors in our
2: bodies there's alpha and beta alpha sits on cancer cells and with two with 1600 percent more affinity the isoflavones like genistein in soy the things that look like estrogen are hitting beta receptors and what beta does is it shuts alpha down so it's cancer protective but where else are beta receptors on your bone and that's why soy is building up Mm. bone Mm. rather than letting you tear it down and the vasomotor symptoms that we get that's responsible for the hot flashes and the night sweats can be mediated through the beta receptors as well so we're only getting benefit by decreasing the bad stuff i.e cancer, prostate cancer, high versus low soy consumers in all the human studies to date of which there are 10 that I know of. Um, since 2009 there weren't any and that's where the confusion kind of had come in prior mm-hmm. to 2009 right. and since then most doctors they don't know anything about nutrition to begin with. They don't realize that but what that little they did here was that soy estrogen, bad. bad like yeah. that was the end yeah. of the,
0: <laughs> right.
2: So even I was completely guilty of telling all cancer patients to spit that miso out of their mouths. Like right now, how much do you possibly like? soy? you have <laughs> breast cancer lady. So then I went into the science during my book writing to pull the science out, to show them why they should be tossing out the tofu. Oh. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, everybody for 18 years. Can I, can I send a big, memo or a heart balloon. (laughs) I don't know what to do because it was the worst advice. It wasn't just like, "Eh, so what? You could have had soy. It was like, you should have had soy. It decreases occurrence by 60%. If you've already had breast cancer, studies vary. It decreases recurrence between 32 and 60% and death. Over and over, every study that looks at mortality, soy consumers have 30 to 35% less death.
1: Wow. What are so the soy- other foods? You said there are four and you talked about soy. What are the other three?
2: Cruciferous vegetables. So broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, arugula, spinach, and flax seeds. Flax oh, seeds yeah. have lignans in them. Lignans are very potent anti-estrogens in the way that soy is. So it's going to work on your beta receptors to decrease all of those um, hot flashes mm-hmm. and nights so within the bone loss. And green tea, the oh, EGCG in green yeah. tea. Yeah. So those are my top top four plus fiber. Anything that's just going to build up your fiber um, is going to to help with with menopause symptoms. Give
0: give an example of what you consider fiber, like beans. The ones, beans
1: that um, complete food. Yeah. Beans and rice. Beans and rice. It is such a great combo. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, can great. just just before we end, can um you were talking about um plant based eating, vegan. I would like you to touch just a little bit more on saturated fat. That's huge in my book but i want just a little why shouldn't we i mean i right the big go ahead go ahead no 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 i'm good so
2: the saturated fat that comes from generally sources like meat and chicken and oil especially these like safflower sunflower hydrogenated soybean corn coconut is like 90% saturated fat butter cheese all of these are saturated fats um, and the bottom line is that they're very inflammatory. Okay. And there have been studies that actually prove that when you check arterial blood flow and function, you know, it has a, a rate and a speed that is going through those arteries, your carotid artery to your brain. Then they have them eat a high saturated fatty, it's not even a whole meal, just ingest saturated fat. And immediately, within minutes of consumption, the arteries constrict. So for someone who already has atherosclerotic disease, that could be a fatal disaster. Just the postprandial, the after eating a super fatty meal.
1: Yeah. There comes the heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just like to bring that up whenever possible. And anybody else.
0: (laughs) Okay. Dr. Funk, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today. And will you please tell us where can we find, you You mentioned real fast, you have this summit, you have, first of all, let's start with your website or your Pink Lotus Foundation. It's PinkLotusFoundation.com, right?
2: Uh, No. No, (laughs) no. No, no. What is it? You're close, though. (laughs) So if you go to Mm PinkLotus.com, that's all you really need to remember, PinkLotus.com. And then we have our four things that you might be looking for. We have the power-up community filled with My Cancer Kicking Summit and the Breast Buddies where you can get matched to somebody and the blogs and information and the social community. Then we have... the Pink Lotus Breast Center on pinklotus.com. That's where you'd want to make an appointment to come see me for any breast-related issues. The Pink Lotus Foundation is our nonprofit for low-income, uninsured, and underinsured women to receive free care or assistance. And then finally, Elements is the store. So Pink Lotus Elements is where you can find really vetted, tried and true, um, functional, healthy products to help manage not only menopause symptoms, but a lot of the challenges that women are faced with as they develop breasts and then deal with them for the rest of their lives.
1: <laughs> exactly. Or in my and, case, they're really small. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: then your book. Tell us about your book. and Obviously, you can get it on Amazon and everywhere.
1: Everywhere
2: books are sold. Breasts, the owner's manual. It's in 10 languages and 30 countries, and it's on Amazon, and it's in the Elements store. Oh, great.
1: Great. Well, and thank you so much. We learned- I have one last question. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. I really want to know how what is your view of women's health in the future?
2: Oh, what a great question. I really think women's health is going to come under one big umbrella because we are not so discompartmentalized as human beings, right? That my breasts go to one place and <laughs> my heart goes here and my brain goes there. And I would love to see these standalone, multidisciplinary women's health centers, just the way we have comprehensive cancer centers, right? You walk through the same front doors, whether you have colon cancer, breast cancer, or brain tumor. So these centers are fully capable with the right imaging and doctors to handle any type of tumor. And in the same way, I think the same doctor is not going to handle every part of your body. Uh, that's like the miraculous discipline of internal medicine. But even they subspecialize and or refer out to a specialist when things get go awry and get complicated, right? So that's what I see is that there's centers that it's the same vision i had for pink lotus but it's for all of women's health and it doesn't just come after a problem with a band-aid so hrt is a band-aid and by the way i i I misspeak right away i'm going to correct myself because menopause isn't a problem it's totally natural part of life we're all headed there we Hope we get there, right? Mm-hmm. We want to grow old, yeah. And I think we need to navigate through menopause with grace and kind of understand the rationality. I mean, I'm—I have a strong Christian faith, and part of me just thinks, like, is God's design flawed? I mean, why did the ovaries peter out then if we weren't <laughs> supposed to come into this new phase? Or just—I don't know. Maybe we weren't supposed to live this long, right? <laughs> Which is which is one of the beauties of modern medicine is that it prolongs lives that really would have died without intervention of Lipitor. Right. It's the number right. one drug on yeah, the planet. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. So um, anyway, I do think that that kind of holistic approach is missing, bringing in herbs and acupuncture to help with menopause and other female-related illnesses. My... Guru acupuncturist is so masterful at controlling thyroid disorder, all types of endocrine disorders, and everything from cramps to infertility when it comes to the female gyne stuff. And I think it's lacking. It's you've got to seek it out, like you were saying, Franco, about being your own advocate. Why? Why can't mm-hmm. your doctors advocate on your behalf? Because they should be the ones that have more knowledge than you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's for better rather than worse that patients. Can use Dr. Google, it does lead them down some serious uh, rabbit holes. Oh, big time. I'm one of traps. I'm one of those
0: people. <laughs> I of oh my god! I'm going to webmd webmd. I could I could advertise for them for sure. But you know what? I want to say thank you for m- myself as a woman, but for all women because you have seriously been forging at the forefront of women's health for 20 years now. I, how, how many years have you been? Here? Is, yeah, 20 years. Right. Yeah. And, years. and to just hear your vision of what you'd like to see, yeah. I think every woman listening is going to be going, yeah, I just want to walk into the door and someone really know about my body and, and, and what is coming. And again, it's not a problem. That's the what I love that. That's like of all the things you've just said in this hour that we've been talking, it is not a problem. It is our, it's what happens to women and we should be embracing it. And that's why one of our taglines is embrace the heat. You know, We're trying to really demystify this menopause and knock it off its pedestal and put all all of us up on this pedestal of, you know, we need to really celebrate women. And part of that is being healthy and strong and vibrant. And that's our goal with with what we're trying to do with this podcast. So thank you. Thank you for your time today. We so appreciate it. And do, uh, thank anything you else? Sj, you got anything else? No, you are awesome. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Oh, I thanks. loved it. Thank I you. loved it.
1: I could and have we just will... listened.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We great. hope to, you know, as as the seasons come on here, have you on several times if if you would like to just keep coming on and letting us know what's happening in women's health, what you're doing, and keep in contact. Terrific. Sound Sounds good?
2: great. Great. All right, ladies. Thank, thank you so you. to Happy you well. again. Right.
0: You too. Bye bye.